Welcome to the Anxiety Lab. I'm Sagar Bhatt. Feeling good today. Happy to be alive. Today, my guest is comedian Joe List. He's my first guest who's not an anxiety or mindfulness expert, uh, although he's well-versed in each of those. He also happens to be an intermittent fasting expert. That's not true. Joe is seriously one of the best comedians out there. He's been on Letterman. He's been on Conan multiple times. He's got a Netflix special. So obviously, he's way better at comedy than I am, though I would say in terms of anxiety suffering, though, I, I might be able to give him a run for his money. He, he claims to be one of the best at hating himself. And, and that's a tough thing to, you know, it's not an exact science and it's hard to compare, but I, I would, nonetheless, I would encourage anyone to put my best years up against his. And, uh, you know, it's at least close. I mean, I, I can't make the ruling there. I, I'll, I'll leave that decision up to the experts and the analysts and ultimately the fans. I, I merely just play the game. But Joe List, in all sincerity, you know, credits aside, I was really so impressed by his openness in terms of sharing about his anxiety. Also, we have a lot in common in terms of our interest in mindfulness, as I mentioned, self-loathing. Speaking of which, he's got a special on YouTube called I Hate Myself. So maybe he is the king. Uh, either way, I highly recommend it. Once again, just as a flat-out comedian, Joe List is one of the best. Uh, you can find him at comedianjoelist.com or on his own podcast, Mindful Metal Jacket, which is just uh, fantastic. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I, I had a great time talking with Joe. We talk about anxiety, obviously. We also get into some Jack Cornfield teachings. Uh, we're both big fans of Jack. And so, yeah, we get, we get into some uh, honesty and some reflection, and I, I really like how it turned out. The last thing I will say is I, I've been getting a few really interesting questions and requests for topics, and I, I think at some point I'll do an episode where uh, we respond to some of that stuff. So if you have a request for something you'd like to hear covered on this show, or maybe you have a question or comment on something we've already talked about, please email theanxietylab at gmail.com. I'm not getting a ton of emails, so if you send something in, there's a good chance we'll talk about it. So that's it for now. Here's the Anxiety Lab with Joe List. Hi, Joe. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am honored to have you on. Do you, do you know who the hell I am, first off? Yeah, I feel like we've met not a while ago, right? I don't recall ever meeting you. Oh, I mean, geez. I, I've, I've worked, I've been on a web series with your wife. I'm, I'm familiar with your work. Uh, I, I'm a fan. Oh, thanks. I figured we've just been in a green room together at some point. Uh, maybe we have. Maybe we have. Uh, oh, jeez. But I, I guess, yeah, I, I, that was kind of part of my calculation as far as would he want to do this? Because I've heard, I forget which, I, I was listening to your podcast, uh, Mindful Metal Jacket, where you got into this idea of when someone asks you to do something, you're anxious, you don't want to do it, but you feel like you have to. And so I'm paranoid that this is that scenario. No, well, first of all, I like I like the idea of the podcast and the topic, and some sometimes it seemed like something that w I would enjoy. It's right up my alley. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of times where uh, I get asked to do a podcast, and I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to do this. Uh, but this was not one of them. So yeah, so I'm, I'm here because I want to be here. 
That is awesome. Uh, and on that note, I'd love to get your take on uh, cancel culture. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I did have to do a little hand-on-heart self-compassion practice before this because like that, that's been part of my growth, which is like, okay, let's say you are here out of guilt. Like, why, would I, why am I taking that on? That, that's your shit. Like, like, if I'm at a party talking to someone, you know, like my whole life, my disposition is to be like, okay, well, let's, let's just find a way to end this conversation before they get sick of me. So I'm always, you know, finding excuses to leave. And, and now I'm like, wait a minute, I'm interested in this conversation. If, if this person's talking to me out of duty, then, then that's their problem. Yes, that's a great uh, topic because that's something I deal with all the time, uh, my whole life, exactly the same thing. I mean, I named my special I Hate Myself because I feel that way in almost every conversation I've ever been in. In the middle of it, I'm like, what am I saying? This is stupid. I've said too much. I'm an idiot. And it's a good point. I mean, it's like that's on them. I mean, and I can see it better because my my wife is a comedian. She has a lot of anxiety and social anxiety similar to me. And I'll listen to her tell a story and I'm like, that's not on you. That's that person's fault. They have to deal with that. Um, yeah. But then when it pertains to me, I'm like, no, no, I'm a piece of shit. I, I stink. I shouldn't have been talking or that person's mad at me. And <laughs> another thing I'm working on, and I don't know if you have this, is I want everyone to like me including people that are horrible people. Like, I'm like, oh, this guy hates me. But and sometimes especially like, those people. Yeah, right? there's something weird about it. Yeah, and people are like, well, that guy, you have to be aware of who you're wanting to like you. That guy is a bad person. You're like, right, good point. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I have this theory that it, it's the people who are the like the meanest, their approval matters the most to me because I am mean to myself. So their rejection of me mirrors my own rejection of me that's why it, it has more validity you know if someone's just this super nice person I, I that doesn't matter to me in a way yeah that's a good point it's a good way of looking at it because i'm probably the same way because there definitely are people my whole life where someone will be like so and so said this about you and they don't ever say anything nice about anybody and you're like hell yeah man i, I, I cracked that person yeah exactly uh yeah, the amount of dates I've been on where afterwards I'm, yeah, like you, it just, I said the wrong thing. I should have done this. I should have, whatever, opened with this. Uh, and then I'm like, do I ever even take a second to consider what impression they made on me that if I even like the person? It, it's so much, a per, everything's a performance. Right. My my friend has a great story. Uh, my friend is was married and he's divorced now. And he said he was getting ready to get, married and he was in therapy and he said my wife he was talking to his therapist and he's like my wife hates me i don't understand why she's marrying me everything i say she doesn't laugh she doesn't think i'm smart and, and she just seems to really hate me and i just cannot wrap my head around why she's marrying me and then his therapist was like why don't you ask yourself why you're marrying her <laughs> and he said it was like this great this amazing moment of like i that never even crossed my mind and of course they did get married and they got divorced and now they hate each other but it, it is a good window into that thing of we're so concerned of people liking us sometimes that we don't even realize we don't even like the person who we want to like us <laughs> yeah it, it's this constant loop of self evaluation. And that that's, I would say, the main thrust of my anxiety is just this obsession with self and who I am. 
And, and that's why I'm attracted to Buddhism. And that's one of the things I wanted to get into with you actually is like this thing that I'm most obsessed with, the self, it, it doesn't exist. Or at least it doesn't exist in this fixed way that I'm constantly grappling with. And, and that's where the interesting work has been for me. Yeah, that's what I'm uh, dealing with all the time. And I, I don't know about you, but I can only have moments of that while actively meditating. I can have moments of like, oh, wow. And then yeah. it, it, it's fleeting. And I'd like to get in a state of just feeling that way, you know, all the time. Enlightenment, I guess, is the, uh, the, the, the common term. But yeah, I definitely have had moments of that. But the idea of self being an illusion is really sort of, mind-blowing and it's almost like for me thinking about death or eternity I, I can only think about it for a second and then it, it it skips out of my brain yeah and and then the self this is common too where the self latches on to the insight of no self as just being another reason why i'm awesome uh, or, or like let's get this again or this is you know whatever it is yes it it's really um tricky but it's funny because i just finished listening to sam harris's i don't know if you listen to sam harris at all a little bit he's really great at um uh describing all this stuff which is fine i always have to preface that like some people know sam harris as like this sort of um provocateur and he goes on <laughs> yeah he, he got in a fight with ben affleck and all this stuff but I know him more as this guy who has this app called Waking Up App, and it's a meditation app. And he talks about he's a he's a big meditator and into all this stuff and the and uh, the sense of self and all this stuff. Yeah. So I just listened to this long conversation of him. He's a neuroscientist, and and he's talking to another neuroscientist about meditation and self and free will, and it was sort of blowing my mind as it often does. It starts to just get really. Um, strange and, and, and deep. Wait, I can't remember where I started to talk about this. But I had just finished listening to a conversation basically about what we're talking about and how self is an illusion. It'd be funny if like on the Waking Up app, he just started releasing, like he just released the fight he had with Affleck. <laughs> like just like started sliding that stuff in. Uh, yeah, the, the big thing I got from Sam is, I, I guess you could correct me if your understanding is different, like the self isn't what it seems, you know, the way that we perceive that there's this entity that's us, that's separate from experience, you know, this this fixed me that exists in continuity from one moment to the next is is actually an illusion. And I don't know, for me, it, it can be in play when evaluating past decisions. Like, let's say I drank too much last night uh, and then I'm like beating myself up. Oh, how could you have drank so much, you idiot? And I guess this underlying misconception to that berating myself, is, is that the same me that's here right now in this moment is the same me that made that decision? So if it's stupid to me now, it, it was just as stupid to me back then, but I did it anyway, so what the fuck is wrong with me? When in reality, it, it's more, you know, who I was last night was its own construct of thoughts and desires that are just moment to moment arisings based on a bunch of brain and body stuff I don't understand. And yeah, I guess like like you, I, I can only catch a glimpse of this occasionally and it, it totally messes with me and, and is sometimes uh, overwhelming to, to take on. Right, yeah. See, that's... All this stuff starts to get trippy, yeah, because, you know, life can only exist in the current moment, right? I mean, so then if you're thinking about what you did 
last night, it's that's sort of uh, an illusion. It's like a thought now. Yeah. It's a thought yeah. in the present now of what happened or. or earlier i guess i mean yeah yeah I, I wish i was more intelligent because i can feel <laughs> it but i can never um convey it but that's what's so strange and sam harris talks about that a lot too is like all we really have in in life is our mind and it seems so obvious that the present moment is the only moment you can really live in right but right. we get so wrapped up in the past and future obviously that's what anxiety and or depression really is is being in the past or future yeah yeah and I like what you said, too, about, like, it's a little bit too much to kind of take on and figure out because that that's, once again, a place where my shame will come in of, like, no, no, let's figure this out. I can't – it's too difficult for me. God damn it. I'm doing it wrong. But it's like, no, this is, this is complicated shit that even some of the smartest neuroscientists and people who have been meditating for years and years and decades, you know, this idea of self, like, how could I expect myself to fully understand this? Uh, and, and that's where I have to just relax and be like, oh no, this is, this is what I'm doing is enough and it's good work and I don't have to understand all of it, but there's times when it resonates and that's okay. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I was just talking about this too, or listening to somebody talk about it. I can't remember, but a lot of times our like self-loathing or self-hatred is strangely ego. It's like the result of ego because we see ourselves as being superior. Like, I should be able to understand this. Like, I'm trying to yeah, learn yeah. guitar because my wife plays a little guitar. So it's just sitting here, and I'm like, let me try to mess around the guitar. And I'm getting, like, furious that I can't play it well. And it's, like, strangely a bit of ego where you're like, why would you think you would be able to just play guitar? Right. And and is that because unconsciously you think of yourself as someone who should be able to do that. You have this idea of self and then reality is at odds with that. And that's the suffering. Exactly. And then I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. I'll never be able to play guitar. And it's like this um, classic thing, like the piece of shit at the center of the universe. I don't know if you're if you're familiar with that or heard no. of that. I mean, that's the idea of like, so we're like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm not worthy of anything. I suck. But everybody's thinking about it. I'm at home being like, right. everybody that I saw today is thinking about me right now. So even though I'm a piece of shit, everybody's thinking about me. Right, right. It's this weird um, paradox. Yeah, ex exactly. Uh, yeah, just being self-centered. Right. So let me bring in some... I prepared some Jack Cornfield material. Uh, so I'd love to just slide one of his quotes into Anchor this and uh, i think you're a fan of Jack's? yeah i love him I, I thanked him in my special he's fantastic oh is that right yeah oh that's so cool oh so here it is in buddhist training we inquire into the very notion of identity asking who we are in the midst of all these roles as we do we find the layers of identity opening and dropping away or dissolving gradually through the systematic practice of mindfulness we discover how our identification with a limited sense of self creates our suffering. Releasing ourselves from these limits can free us from a lifetime of struggle. So that's just what you were talking about with the guitar, right? Yeah, that's good stuff. God, he's... I, I just... I've read enough of them and know enough about them that, like, just opening the book, I feel better. I'm like, ah, this is nice. I'm already doing well to even start reading this. Um, yeah, it's like you're you're dehydrated, and you take that first just you just pour yourself the water, and you're hearing the water. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because I've like 
memorized a lot of these things and wisdom and all this stuff, but I can't, again, it goes back to self again. I started telling myself and I'm like, yeah, but what do you know? You're stupid. But if I read it from the book, I'm like, God, that makes so much sense. I feel so much better. Um, but my own voice telling me doesn't do anything for me. Does that make sense? <laughs> that that totally makes sense. And And do you find yourself like coming back to this stuff over and over again and being like, wait a minute, I already read this. Why, do, why is this making me feel good again? I should have already kind of, you know, solidified this wisdom. Do you ever have those moments? Yeah, all the time. And it's the only thing that's made me, um, not maybe not the only thing, but it's the thing that's made me understand the idea of religion. I've never been a religious guy. And I was, I was like, so you just go to church every Sunday or every day, whatever it is. And, now it's like that makes some sense to me, not the always the principles of whatever religion, but the idea of like I have to keep going because I have to reread all this stuff basically daily to remind myself because I quickly get out of the the thought process if I go back to my whatever my regular baseline of self hatred and anxiety is <laughs> yeah because the self hatred and anxiety is is repetitive and constant, so I think the the counter wisdom is also needs to be repetitive and constant. And as I say that, I've said this before on the podcast, and I, I also have, or I, I have some shame over kind of repeating myself here. But I mean, I think that's the nature of, for me, the, the work of applying wisdom and mindfulness to my anxiety, it, that it's fucking repetitive. Yeah. And we also have to, I'm also trying to undo all the years of, of not reading the stuff or studying the stuff or meditating <laughs> right. or, or yeah. being in therapy, whatever it is, because in my formative years and whatever my family and whatever, all that stuff that, that in an upbringing and genetics that makes you who you are, I didn't have any of this then. If I had started reading Thich Nhat Hanh when I was five, I might not need to read it every day. It might be built into <laughs> right. me. Yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to undo whatever it is, the 25 years of experience before I got into this stuff. Yeah, that that's such a good uh, point, and and so I, I want to ask you to like with regards to this quote, you know, when when you read something like, "We discover how our identification with a limited sense of self creates our suffering," like when I read something like that, I'm I'm like, holy shit, is this gonna rock my entire foundation? You know what I mean? Like, cause cause now we're like one or at least one level deeper than you know, this surface application of mindfulness, like, oh, I'm going to start meditating and yeah, I'm going to sleep better and, and I'll be more focused at work or something. But this teaching is different. It, it, it's not just mindfulness that enhances your life. It's potentially something that can rock you at your core. And, and I'm curious what that's like, what it is for you. Like you, you obviously see someone who, you know, the more you get into this stuff, the further in you want to go. Definitely. So do you do you also have these holy shit moments with some of this material? Yeah, so well for me, I feel like I felt like I was always suffering. I've always been drawn to it because I've always been a, a crazy anxiety uh fear-based panic person even since I was a kid. I was like a hypochondriac and had horrible anxiety and this like I was having like these 
existential crises or we're all going to die and I never believed in any kind of afterlife. So I would like ponder eternity and I'm like, how can it just be emptiness for eternity? And that was when I was like really young and oh, I always wow. thought something was wrong with me and that I remember like thinking I was going blind when I was a kid because my vision got worse, which in my defense, <laughs> if your eyes start to go bad, you're like, well, they're going to keep getting worse. Eventually I'll be blind. Like it, it didn't, it, that made <laughs> yeah. sense to me as a kid. Right, but anyways... Right. Um, and so I was always so anxious and then I started drinking and I was, that would cause even more anxiety and that was out of control. So I always was drawn to the idea of like, oh, some people are like, are Zen. Some people are, are, are enlightened that like always, I was like, that seems desirable to me. And so then I got into like yoga, but I was still drinking and anxious, but I w that would help me. But I liked the idea, the, the meditative state of yoga and all that kind of stuff. And so I became like super fascinated. So then eventually I stopped drinking and then I was like, oh, maybe this is my chance to become enlightened. And it didn't actually happen that way, but I, I did get, I have gotten gradually um, less anxious and less, my hypochondria has been less, my OCD has gotten better, because, all because of all of these people we just talked about and, and the Buddhism and meditation and all that stuff. Uh, that, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm glad that you have found some, I guess, healing and some groundedness. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, about comedy, because for me, you know, the reason I love this quote is the suffering being a result of this identification with a limited sense of self. And that's a lot of times, sure, comedy has amazing aspects, maybe aspects that are inherently um, you know, beneficial connection to others, the joy of creativity. But for me, the heroine of stand-up has been just going home after a show and, and telling myself, I'm the man. And so that's, to me, that's identification with a limited, at the time, I don't know that it's limited. That, I really believe in those moments that that's who I am. And so that's obviously where suffering shows up is because obviously that, you know, not every moment proves that I'm the man. Um, so I'm curious how it is for you, uh, you know, how do you reconcile, you know, this, this feeling of maybe dissolving this rigid sense of self, uh, that, that Buddhists, you know, advocate versus the pursuit of stand up comedy? Yeah, that's, that's hard. It's like, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever, um, thought about it, um, that much in that sort of context it is weird i mean comedy in general or, or showbiz or whatever is sort of the opposite of so many of these things in so many ways of like of trying to get especially with like the social media internet aspect that we're all sort of supposed to be a part of is this idea of you know being in i online or whatever it takes you out of things and then you're getting people that have access to you to write mean shit to you and you're yeah, just like what yeah. is this this is awful this feels like the opposite of what I'm, I'm going for um but yeah i don't know i haven't thought of it too much in in as far as like live stand-up but I, I i would say that it has brought me more um, joy in actually performing stand-up is, is all this stuff because it allows me to try to be in the moment while performing at least. Is to, yeah. Because I mean, so often, as you know, like 
when you're um, performing, it's so hard because I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm thinking about something completely outside of comedy, like my life. I'm thinking about my relationship or something my dad said or something somebody said in the green room. You're, you're kind of thinking about something completely else. But you're doing your bits because they're, I mean, you've done them so many times, you could kind of just get them out. Yeah. So all this stuff, meditation and mindfulness, has helped me to bring me into the moment while performing, which is really help me and get more joy out of it. And then also the idea of like, oh, I'm connecting with human beings and they're getting joy. We're having this dialogue and it's it's beautiful. Wow, okay, yeah, that feels really healthy and integrated because, you know, for me sometimes I'm like, all right, well, if stand-up is just clinging to identity, then let's stop. Um, but Jack speaks to this as well. Here's another quote. The release of identification isn't a denial of the marvelous, singular, and unique essence of every individual. Our uniqueness remains, but without self-centered grasping and fear. Yeah. So when I hear you talk about, you know, the connection with the audience, it sounds like, and, and you know, the joy of that experience, it sounds like you've really reconciled this. We don't have to, I don't have to get rid of it. You know, there's a lot of good there. It's, it's really just the clinging. Yeah, I I try to. First of all, that's like a beautiful quote because that is, I mean, the classic thing in comedy too that I've dealt with and I think a lot of comedians deal with that idea, and I feel like this is along those lines of that quote, is the idea that if I lose my anxiety, if I became like enlightened or calm, I would lose what's funny about me. That's who I am. You become identified with even your suffering. The fact that I'm like, I'm this anxious guy, I'm a hypochondriac. That's what makes me funny is that I'm thinking I have cancer when I actually just have, you know, a cramp or whatever. That's funny. Right. <laughs> and, um, and you're afraid to, to lose that thing, which is all like that clinging to the idea of self. If I change, I won't be me anymore. And maybe if I'm not me anymore, I won't be funny. But like what he's saying is you're always you just by the uniqueness of, of who you are and that each of us is different than any other person yeah yeah well said uh so i guess it, it, it's the grasping that's the thing i want to be careful about uh so so just to put this into my own practice like previously i looked at being a performer and, and these expectations like oh i have to be an amazing comedian i have to get on tv and and then i'll be this self and that'll be me and it'll there'll be like permanent bliss and all that stuff and and I still, you know, there's still waves of that, and and it's not like I'm I'm completely over it, but you know, on on a certain level, I've I've realized that it can't fill me up that way. Um, but then I've you know I've made this mistake of like, okay, well, the, if it can't fill me up that way, then it's stupid to be a comedian. But then I'm like, no, it no, it, it it's you know I could do this stuff. It's it's more just like do it with the understanding that it's not gonna result in some permanent orgasm, you know. Exactly. So what does this look like for you? Because you've done a ton of TV and you've actually done a lot of the stuff that I fantasized about. So, and, and for a while, you weren't getting this exposure and you weren't having success. So you know, back then, were you craving you know, TV, for example? Were you craving that in a way that was delusional? Definitely. Well, you have that. I mean, we all have it in in not just in comedy, but in any profession, in any aspect of life, is you kind of think, if I could just get that thing, then I would be happy. And yeah. um, none of that is, is true. It's like the 
that book, wherever you go, there you are. You know, you're you're still you and have to live with your own mind. So, but I, I definitely, for a long time, kept thinking if I could just get this thing, that would make me happy. That would be better. And then you do that thing, and of course, that can only really be enjoyable in that moment and then after that you're just kind of recalling when you were happy about that thing and then you go well i'm not even doing that now so it, it's, <laughs> it's all yeah. sort of um fleeting i guess but yeah that was that, that was the cause of a lot of suffering is that right. so and so got that thing i wish i had that thing if i could get this thing yeah but i mean that that, that speaks to this larger like pretty i guess to me foundational dysfunction of the mind which is how how we evaluate experience, you know, as, as you said, it's like you said, you know, it's fun in the moment and then you're just thinking about it. Well, for me, sometimes it's not fun in the moment and it's only fun because I get to reflect on how, how it made me look, you know, to others. And I mean, I, it, it sounds like it, it, that's been more intense for me than for you. Uh, no, that's a good point. I mean, I definitely, I think you're right. Some of the things weren't that enjoy, like in the moment, you're actually quite anxious and um and petrified i mean with as far as like doing tv or whatever it is and some of the most miserable because of this some of the most miserable times or lowest points in my life are right after doing tv like sometimes even the night of because it didn't live up to expectations or that thing has gone just like when you're a kid and you can't wait for christmas to come or the last day of school or a field trip then the next day, you're like, oh, everything I was living for is over now. I was so excited about that thing. Yeah. You have to start yeah. thinking about the next thing. You're like, all right, I'm excited about vacation or whatever, a movie coming out. And, of course, that passes, which they talk about a lot in, all, in Buddhism and stuff. That's why excitement cannot really be it's, – it's so different than actual happiness because excitement is anticipating something that's not there and not happening. Yeah, it, it's in this arena of mental concepts and not experience. And that's, you know, where I've lived all of my life, essentially. Uh, you, you mentioned social media, and that to me is, is such a perfect kind of example that maybe reinforces this opposition that I'm talking about between maybe performance and Buddhist wisdom. Because that, to me, what is that but a solidification of, I mean, when it's obviously there's ways you could do it. There's ways you could be more, I guess, porous and transparent and authentic. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not kind of, you know, shitting on it wholesale, but, but this, this idea of like, let me post this thing where I look amazing is a, a delusional kind of clinging to self. It's presenting a self. And then when I look at other people who post awesome shit, I am attaching a, a solidity to their selves. It's like, this is who they are. It, it, it's a direct threat to who I am. I'm just fucking crazy and stupid and unsuccessful and all that shit. And, and they're, they are this, like the subconscious feeling of shame when I am looking at someone's success post is that this is thoroughly who they are. And, and, you know, if I bomb or something, that's thoroughly who I am. And that's, that to me is the contraction of a limited self. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, like, we could talk for hours probably about social media and the negativity, the negative aspects of social media, which I've been kind of obsessed with the last few weeks. I'm reading this book that I'm looking at right now called How to Break Up with Your Phone by a woman named Catherine Price. And I love, I love the book. And it's really great. But I've been sort of obsessed with trying to 
quit my phone or break up with my phone and I got I cut my phone time like in half which I feel good about and but then again now I'm, now I'm starting to obsessively check the time and I want to go lower and it's like I'm competing with myself and I'm like oh this is like defeating the purpose <laughs> and then I just yeah so just having something to check yeah that's the that's the heroin exactly and then I got this app called Moment which which keeps track of how many times you pick up your phone and how many hours you spend and so now I'm just I'm still obsessed with social media and everything, but I'm just trying to look at it for like one minute at a time and put it down so I can keep my numbers low. So it's still infiltrating yeah, my, yeah. my psyche. But I watched um, that documentary, The Great Disruption. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's a different book that social I love. Dilemma? The Social Dilemma, yeah. Great, Great Disruption is a book about climate change, which I also oh, cool. highly recommend. But I'll check that out. Um, but The Social Dilemma I watched, and then I got really into Tristan Harris, and I've listened to him on a bunch of podcasts. And again, it's similar to what we talked about with meditation Buddhism. I have to keep rereading and rewatching and reminding myself that, that social media and our phones in general are so detrimental to our health because I, forgot, I forget and I go back to that baseline thing of wanting to get likes and wanting to feel like, I'm trying in my career. I got to create. I got to be yeah. creating. I got to keep up with other people. I'm comparing myself. And if I don't stay relevant, and so it becomes like an, an addiction. And it's similar to the thought of the future. What am I going to be? I'll be I'll be a bum on the streets if I don't keep doing this, this, and this. And so I yeah. have to keep meditating and have to remind myself that social media is bad for me. And And you're right. It's not like this complete binary thing where it's like, well, I have to just, you know, th- some of this anxiety isn't completely just made up and stupid. Like, yeah, no, we do need to be careful about our finances and our careers. And and so, yeah, that, that to me is where the anxiety gets a little bit sticky is when, you know, you're really grappling with, yeah, like how, how complex it can be sometimes and that there's not this easy answer of like, no, all my problems will be solved if I just got off social media. I, I do, going back to what we keep talking about, there are moments where I'm like, I, I should be doing this, or I should be doing that, or I suck, or I should have more of this. And then I have moments where I kind of go, no, nah, you're doing it. You're doing, you're doing great. You're doing fine. You know? it, and it's weird because like, that's not my um, default. My default is to be like, you should be doing more. You're failing. You suck. <laughs> and then it actually takes me sitting and, and being mindful and reflecting to be like, no, nah, you're doing pretty good. Uh, totally. Yeah, it's a nice place to land. So so with regards to this inner critic that you mentioned, uh, you know, I know we talked about your relationship with comedy and, and it's not as fraught with existential tension as, as mine is. Uh, but but obviously it's it's a very hard path. And, you know, you said you had this inner critic. You've, you've put a lot of pressure on yourself. Like how what's that been like over the years? Like were, was there a specific pressure to be a successful comedian? Yeah, to some degree. I don't know. I this is what goes back to self hatred and self loathing. I have this thing where I am like, I get really depressed because I'm like, you want. I wanted to be a comedian, but I really wanted to be Martin Scorsese, and I wanted to be like Woody Allen and and professionally, and I wanted to write films and create films, and I never did because it was too challenging to me. And, and stand-up, ultimately, stand-up is not easy. Obviously, it's very difficult. But it was the easiest thing in that I didn't need to um, 
write characters or come up with a character act, and then I didn't have to come up with a million dollars to shoot a film. I could write a few jokes in a notebook and then go to a bar and and tell the jokes. And same with podcasting. I'm like, well, I can get recording equipment and just talk. But I still have moments of like, you wanted to be a musician. You never learned an instrument. You wanted to make movies. You haven't even really done that. I've made you know little sketches. So I still have this self-hatred and still have this feeling of like, oh, you took the easiest path, you piece of shit. Um, I don't know if you ever have those yeah. sort of feelings, but I, I, I feel like even in success and I've, I've had good, you know, uh, significant success in comedy. I still am like, yeah, but you still just took the easiest path for you personally. Right. And, and how do you work with that when those thoughts come up? I, you know, I should work with them better. I, I, I just, Sort of. I also wanted to write a book. I tried writing a book during pandemic, and I sent it to a the proposal to a book agent. And she gave me criticism, and I just completely bailed. I was like, "Fuck this! I'm not doing that." Uh, so I have this like lingering self hatred, and I don't deal with it very well. I kind of just think about something else, or I will sit and go, you know. But yeah, you have accomplished a tremendous amount, and maybe that's all you were capable of accomplishing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm I'm recalling. What we said earlier about this, maybe this kind of Sam Harris of the continuity of self, whereas you couldn't have at, in those moments, you couldn't have been anyone other than who you were. You know, this this feeling of responsibility now that you carry over your past actions, it, you know, maybe that's what can be examined further. That That's I'm, I'm describing what the process has been for me in those moments. And, and I guess just hoping that it resonates in some no, way. No, it does. That's really helpful. And that's. First, yeah, that is helpful because it gets me off thinking. Like, first of all, there's, there's no, there's no point or um, there's no value in sitting here regretting things. I mean, regretting the past is never very valuable. Um, and all I can really do is take a next action towards doing whatever I'd like to do. Yeah, yeah, and this, I, I don't know how. I mean, I think there's also information in how you're picturing this whatever alternate universe where you're writing novels and fucking touring <laughs> as a musician and all this stuff. But, but I think in that fantasy, there's so much that isn't there that would be there if it were happening, meaning just this, whatever health issues, family member issues. I mean, as Jack Kornfeld says, I was just reading a passage earlier. He was talking about someone who has cancer and then it's like, no, this is the human lot. We're all just kind of swimming in this soup of discomfort and pain and disease and death and I, you know, I wonder if, because for me, in my fantasies of alternate lives, I'm, I've somehow transcended all that shit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I never um, think about being a filmmaker where I have a deadline and I'm over budget and they're going to fire me and uh, my wife hates me and I haven't seen my kids in three <laughs> weeks because I'm over budget and I'm shooting in, you know, Zaire or whatever. That's not part of the fantasy. It's just yeah. me winning Academy Awards and, um, and, and telling Leonardo DiCaprio what emotion he should be invoking. You know, that's the fantasy. So, I mean, I mean that's a good do, do you When you get in those fantasies, are you actually mouthing these conversations to yourself a little bit? No, I mean, I, it's not, I don't really get into an actual, like, fantasy, but... I, I do, I, is what I'm saying. I just, I just think, man, I, I really wanted to do that, and I do, I guess I do in some degree. I have this, 
I can sit and think about, you know, a set and all these lights and people coming up to me and saying, Mr. List, what, what kind of, which gun do you prefer? And like, uh, I'm like, I'll take this one. That one looks too fake, right. you know, which is a scene out of the movie Rushmore I just did. But um, yeah, so I guess I do have that thought. And then I have moments of like, well, why don't you take whatever action today that will right. get me there? But then I get intimidated and I, that thing comes up where I'm like, well, I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm a piece of shit. That to me, again, is what <laughs> drew me to comedy in a lot of, I mean, ultimately, originally wanting to make people laugh drew me there. But what keeps me in comedy, like I said, is I can, I mean, now we don't have shows because of pandemic or whatever but like on a normal night pre-pandemic i would have a set that night and i could let me sit and write for a half hour and then whatever i write i will go perform that tonight whereas trying to write a movie or a book it might never get made and so i I thought what a crazy waste of time this is to write something that won't be made which is which is not the proper way to think my therapist always says you write because not to make something you write because it's a valuable use of your time you're you're creating it's valuable to just create yeah. to create right yeah i mean it, it's the experience is is where it all i guess metabolizes i yeah i also fantasize that i'm uh i guess a successful actor um and but a lot of my fantasies aren't actually at least you're on the set doing the thing a lot of my fantasies of being a successful actor are just being like being in a big movie and then it's the dinner party with my same group of friends, but I'm just the movie star now, right, right. Like, which is just such like exposes me as just, you know, a, an image seeking fraud because I don't care about it. I just want the fucking attention and, and the praise and, and to be looked at that way. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. But at least you're at the movie. Yeah. Well, it seems like it would be fun to um, to create, but... You could look deeper than the reason I want that is because, I mean, particularly with directing a film and similar to stand-up, if you look at it in some ways, is I'm the most important person in the room. If I'm, if I'm creating a film, every, every single person has to answer to me. And same with stand-up comedy. Again, it's ultimately the wanting of control. When you're doing stand-up comedy in a, in a proper setting... You're the most important person. The doormen are there to make sure no one interrupts you. The the audience is there to listen right. to you, and and you're the you're the person that's there. Which obviously, to me, comes from some level of feeling unseen or insignificant in our lives. Maybe you're running to this kind of transcendence to to escape this this stuff over here. And I'm I'm seeing behind you the Springsteen poster on Broadway, and is that that's Eddie, Eddie Vedder? Vedder? Yeah. I'm I'm curious. I I mentioned those because. This transcendence is is so palpable when I'm aware, when I'm listening to music and I'm rocking out. There is this sense when I'm listening to music that the songs are just a manifestation of my own awesomeness. I'm kind of getting <laughs> off on the song and yet me at the same time. I'm curious if you experience it that way. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i such a huge... I mean, Pearl Jam and Springsteen are my two top artists that uh, I'm, I've been obsessed with and and Springsteen's like the biggest influence in my life more than my parents or any of these Buddhist uh, folks. But yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can go with like headphones in music blasting and I am the rock star and everything feels clear. And I I imagine myself having written these songs and, and 
dancing and everyone just going nuts for me. <laughs> it, it, it's so irrational if you stop to think about it, yet it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's completely um, irrational and psychotic in some ways, I guess, but it, it's it's <laughs> joyful, you know, it's, a, it's certainly a moment of joy. Yeah, and, I, I, and again, like, you know, I have to be careful to not just hate myself for it and to take away the joy. Like, maybe there's something awesome in there and and why criticize it it makes me happy sure but yeah I, I wonder if those moments really serve to maybe give me an idea of myself that the other moments tend to undercut you know here so what cornfeld says is in the same way that we identify with a role we can identify with a self-image do i look intelligent attractive and strong Usually we worry in this way because we also feel the opposite qualities in ourselves. So to compensate, we create a self-image. So I'm, I'm wondering if these are all com- compensatory behaviors. I don't think I know what compensatory. Well, compensating? Compulsive? No, no, compensating is what I mean. Oh, I see. Did I, I got gotcha. you. I, <laughs> I, it sounded, I, I was like proud of myself for saying that word right, but I, I think I might have made a word up. Um, well, you might have said it right, and I'm not smart. Compensatory? I don't. Okay. I have uh, glasses, so I look smart. But um, and it took everything I had to be like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, I have a great story about that, but that's a whole other story for a different podcast, I guess. But one time, I my I guess I'll just tell it now. But my wife was on a job interview, and someone said a word, and she was like, "My wife was like, I don't think I know what that word means. Actually, I'm embarrassed to say." And then the person who used it was like. Yeah, I don't really know what it means either. And, uh, it was such a proud moment for Amazing. her. But anyways, um, oh, to compensate. Yes. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly everything we, I not everything, but I think so much of what we do in our lives is trying to have people not notice what we feel about ourselves. You don't want people to mm. see what you're thinking. Because it does. I mean, obviously, you can feel it when someone makes a comment, and then you're like, it rocks you to your core when you're like, shit, that's what I was thinking about earlier in my bathroom by myself. Um, (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I I think of Springsteen with so many songs like that, uh, Dancing in the Dark. He's like, I want to change my clothes, my hair, my face, and I'm getting nowhere. Uh, I'm just living in a dump like this. (laughs) (laughs) There's something happening somewhere. I just know there is. You know, that feeling, oh yeah, that's so that good. feeling of like I, I gotta, I gotta get out of here and figure something out because this is this is no good. My life is being wasted. That's a feeling I've had a lot of my life. Yeah, yeah. This, I guess, again, going back to this human lot, it's like we're always trying to get to some thing, and I guess that's why so many religions are. I mean, that appeal of there's somewhere else, you know, and and I guess that's kind of the big heavy heaviness I've been sitting with in this pandemic. Cause I think all my life I, I've been just trying to go somewhere else, you know, whether it's, you know, feeling like there's transcendence available in the next, whatever comedy show I'm doing Well, in five years, I'm going to, my career is going to be here. Just always looking to that other place. And then like, Nope, th- it's this, it's just this. Yeah. That's the, the weird tricky thing. Like I, I kind of alluded to earlier is that like, you can only actually live in this moment and sometimes it's hard to accept that like but this moment this so all of life is me like after this podcast is over my wife's out of town so my whole life is just sitting on this couch in an empty living room that's that's crazy but if you look at it one way you're like if you look at it from over here you're just like i'm just going to be sitting here and maybe 
see what's on TV, and that's that encompasses all of life because that's the only moment I can be in. Um, but it's also you could, and this is where meditation, I guess, comes mm-hmm. in. Is you can sit and and be grateful that we're we're still alive and the miracle that we're on a planet that's the perfect distance from the sun and and we're lucky enough to be healthy in this moment um and and also you know relatively rich to the rest of the world we're like in the top one percent of the world's wealth even all you have to do is make i think like twenty five thousand dollars a year puts you in like the top one percent of <laughs> yeah, the uh, universe right, right. so uh, you know there's it's all i guess uh perspective and what you sort of what you're the state of your mind i guess but for me and i think like so many people and there's so much great art about it and that you were just talking about it is people th- there's this constant thought of there must be more than this i can't just be this yeah and yeah, I mean, you you put it so beautifully that, that this. So when we fully enter the the temporariness, that's when gratitude can emerge. But it it, it took a while. I mean, it, and and again, it's like a constantly changing process. There's days where it, I'm, I'll lose it and lose gratitude and just hate the fact that I'm not, you know, I don't have a bigger place with a backyard or something. But but when you're yeah when you're dialed into yeah as you said like the earth is this far it's like all of these things and and we're you know at at this age at our best physical prime whatever it, it's all just so precious you know and then 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 I can appreciate the fact that I'm you know I have this stupid yeti that I could that keeps my tea warm and you know I get to have it yeah it's beautiful life is good I got a I got a tea and a Starbucks cup it's Christmassy that's fun it's festive or holiday whatever. Whatever the yeah. thing is, and uh, it's green tea. Which, green tea. Which is I love green tea. I'm all green tea all day, baby. Do you do you mess with matcha at all? No, I don't even know what matcha is. Uh, to be honest with you, it's like a powder green tea, right, or something. Yeah, yeah, it's powdered. I mean, if if I was kind of a millionaire, pot, like successful podcaster, I would just gift you whatever matcha I'm that's sponsoring the show or whatever. <laughs> um, but I I love it, uh, and and I love a good green tea too. So glad you're enjoying that. Oh yeah, every morning, and then I, I drink probably too much of it. But if if green tea is as healthy as they suspect, I'm gonna live forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was at a meditation retreat where, because I so I'll have coffee every now and then, and I'll, I'll really look forward to it. But but on the meditation retreat, I, I got really attached to the green tea. I was like, okay, well, which day am I gonna have two green teas instead of what? It was just evidence that, like, I'm always looking forward to planning something. And so even in a scenario where I have nothing to do, nowhere to go, I found the one thing that I could control and, and kind of administer pleasure to myself. Like, it, well, Friday is when I'll have two green teas. It's so funny. Like, as you're saying that, I'm like, I think I'll go back to Starbucks and get another tea. And I feel that feeling of, like, all right. And it's funny because just, there's just a microcosm. Every morning I get up and I go to Starbucks, I get my green tea. They all know me there and that releases some dopamines because everyone's like, hey, Joseph, and I, I love it. And then I'm always chasing it because that first tea of the day for me on an empty stomach, first thing is so good and I'll get two or three more and none of them are quite as good as that first one in the morning. And instead of just waiting till the next day to experience <laughs> it again, I keep trying to um, get back to it. Is there any kind of self-hatred in there over like, well, if you knew what you were doing, you'd be able to make this feeling just last the whole day? I guess there, I guess there, I mean, there's always self-hatred in everything, in everything I do. By the way, a lot of my questions are just asking you things that I myself do and, and seeing if it lands. <laughs> no, I, 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 
I do I do do the same because that's what's so interesting and that's what's so comforting about um life and it's why I think we're social beings is because it's so meaningful to be like you do that too. Okay, great. To not feel alone. Yeah. I mean to me to not feel alone is like one of the the principles of happiness. I mean that's why Alcoholics Anonymous works and and all kinds of people of abused kids get together and people that lose what do you call that mourning people that lose spouses all get together and talk I mean it's the ultimate therapy is to be with like-minded people and yeah I have this theory about how it's not always the babies that make all these people happy it's the fact that now they get to talk about babies with other parents right. and it's such an easy way to make friends um, I, I mean I bet there's something in the having a a new life that probably does something for you too. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's. Have you heard of a Tonglen practice? No. It, it's. I mean, it's super simple, and I'm probably. Um, I mean, this is the essence. There's probably things I'm getting wrong, but you know, often I won't be able to. You know, I stay up throughout the night anxious. So Tonglen is when you send out, I guess, well wishes to people who are going through whatever. So right now, I think. For me, it's like, okay, well, I'm up anxious. There's a hundred things I can't figure out. There's a hundred reasons why I think everything's fucked for me. I could solve it. Or let me just, I bet there's other people up doing the same exact thing, thinking that whatever their anxiety is, is their fault and it's excruciating. Let me just send out some compassion to those people. And and as you said, it's like, yeah, there's something critical about I mean, maybe that's the entire point is that we're all just connected and suffering in this human condition, not any individual condition, but it's all just a human condition. Yeah. First of all, that's beautiful and valuable. And um, I, I do the, the meta meditation, like loving kindness, which I feel like is like similar to that. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it, it is comforting to think about that all the time. Is that you're like, no, everyone goes through this. Even to hear that you have trouble sleeping and have anxiety makes me feel better. I'm like, okay, great. That's, I had that last night. And for me, it's like my, my wife has anxiety and it's like comforting. She's out of town right now, so it's like a little strange. But, you know, I go to sleep. She stays up later than me uh, looking at her phone or whatever. And it's comforting for me to fall asleep knowing that I'm like, okay, somebody's awake next to me if I have trouble, which is very like childlike. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But it is this feeling of like, all right, I could just talk to this person. So, but even when you're by yourself, it it helps to know that like there's a bunch of other people having the same thing going on. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I remember like in college, I was uh, I went to Boston University, so there's all these kind of big dorms, and then I they had too many students. And so we, they had to take out a dorm that was like 15 minutes away via shuttle in this, on this other college's campus. And I was one of the, I guess, unlucky people who was on this, not on the main campus, who had to be shuttled in for everything with, you know, I guess 200 other people. And none of us would have chosen it. But I think kind of being packed in on the shuttle and kind of like we were kind of in this together, you know, and that was bonding you know, week one, I would have moved out. But like to this day, some of those people are, are some of my closest friends. Right. It's so interesting. Yeah. No, it's it's great. And that's like the, it's the great part of being humans is that you get to experience all of the things humans experience with other humans. Right? <laughs> what if I just 
left you hanging here and you totally unraveled. I know. As I was saying, I was like, oh, God, this is stupid. No, I, I completely uh, that I, I was just feeling it. I was feeling it. Oh, thank God. Um, well, I'm tempted to record another uh, a B-side where we just talk tennis, but I'm, I'm going to just thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. I, I, I can't just appreciate enough. I don't know how to end this. I don't know how to end this rant right now, so I'm just going to stop talking. No, it's, it was great. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, yeah, we should we should try to figure out what happened to American tennis, and uh, I don't know. Maybe the, the the theory is that everyone, all our best athletes, play basketball. What do you think about that theory? Like if LeBron James played tennis. All right, I had to fade out on that tennis talk for now, but I don't know. Maybe we'll do a tennis spinoff. Is there interest? Come for the elevation of consciousness. Stay for some predictions uh, for the upcoming ATP and WTA seasons. I'd love to see Medvedev conquer his demons. Speaking of anxiety. So thank you once again to Joe List. I, I just love that sentiment towards the end about simply the value of knowing other people are going through similar or even different difficulties. You know, I think beyond the practices, beyond the tools, the wisdom, just, just connecting on our struggles uh, is is a profound experience of comfort. And, you know, that, that was one of my missions with this one, with, with this podcast in general. And uh, on that note, uh, please send any questions, comments uh, to anxietylab at gmail.com. That's theanxietylab at gmail.com. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we are planning to do an episode where we respond to some of the stuff, uh, some of the questions that have been coming in, and there is uh, room for a few more. That's all I got for you. Thanks. I really appreciate you spending an hour here and listening. It, it really means a lot. And uh, if you want to help the show, please rate and review, as I always say. And goodbye. Be well. <laughs>